Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel. So clearly what we say, the recruits of America listen to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. them all. You can't doubt the machine at this point. Like yeah. it's, uh, it's like betting against death and taxes. And SI's Pat Forty. They got a quarterback. They're going to be right there challenging Alabama. And they're probably going to be one of the top five programs uh, in the next couple of years. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. All right, National Signing Day Wednesday. Uh, breaking news. Alabama's going to be good. <laughs> Ohio State, Do you have a too. source on that? I got a source. <laughs> Rivals.com. <laughs> the Crimson Tide, all the recruiting experts are very fired up on how closely you all follow the, the recruiting gurus, but they are jacked. The greatest class in history is what this is being dubbed. And they have, you know, all sorts of statistical possibilities to this. Uh, it is Alabama's best class since the 2017 class, which just decimated college football this year. Yes. So 27 players Crimson Tide signed. Five five stars, 18 four stars. They have 23 kids, four stars are up. They only have four three stars. They basically have priced themselves out of, they don't bargain shop anymore. <laughs> they have 17 top 100 players in the rivals rankings. Wow. That's the real number because wow. that's basically a top three draft pick. If you go NFL style, which makes a lot more sense. The problem with four stars and the problems I use rivals, their four stars cap out about 350, like 24 seven sports. Nothing against those guys, but they kind of do this composite. They end up with like uh, it's this astronomical number of four stars and five stars. Like you're, I, I, you can't really keep track of it all. You can be if everybody ranks you as a four star, you can become a five star. But that doesn't work. like if every NFL team says this guy's a mid second round pick, you don't become a first round pick. You be, you know right. So that's why I like rivals uh, among other reasons. But seventeen of the top hundred, like Clemson signed nineteen kids. You know, like Auburn uh, signed Penn State and Auburn, I think, signed 16. So you have more top 100 kids than other schools have. It's just utterly dominant. Uh, they have, you know, pretty I mean, you go through this thing and you got pretty much everybody you want. Uh, I'm sure they missed on a few guys, but they didn't miss by much. So Alabama 2025, if uh, 2024, if Nick Saban is coaching, but you heard it here first. I'm, I, they are my preseason number one. Bold. 
bold 2024 and uh, Kamar Wheaton and company. Thoughts on Alabama? I, I mean, I guess it's sort of like, why wouldn't you go at this point, right? Yeah, oh, that's absolutely true. I mean, that you know, it, the proof is, has been so well-established that if Alabama comes to you and says, yes, you can play here, it would be awfully hard to turn down if you have aspirations of being as good as you can be to being, you know, an NFL player uh, or just at least being a great college player. And you look at the class, and it, I mean, I will be the first to admit, I haven't seen these guys play, okay? I, I don't watch high school football. I don't do recruiting. But just like if you look on paper for what prototypes are for the best guys NFL I, okay, here they are all on the on the Alabama. She every every lineman is six five or six six. Linebacker six four two forty five probably runs really fast. Defensive end six three two sixty five. You know can bend the end and, and get after you. I am sure the defensive backs are six one two hundred. They've got long arms, of course, in addition to being fast. So they, I mean they're just going out and they're getting prototype guys. And then they make them better when they coach them. And they sit behind the other prototype guys that came in the last years. Uh, it's it's a perfect machine at this point, and there's no end in sight. That's, that's what's amazing. And you can go through, like, the number of guys they get from Texas. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. We had uh, the whole topic on the Brockermeyer twins um, not going to Texas, but going to Alabama from Fort Worth, and their dad played at Texas. That's that's one reason Alabama's Alabama and Texas has been Texas recently. You go get a defensive back from Cincinnati. You go get a ton of players from Florida. You can go you get a lineman, defensive lineman from Michigan. Go where you want, get who you want. So the word factory is overused I think in uh you know in sport. That high school is a factory that, that Alabama is actually a factory. It's an actual assembly line that puts together top NFL players. They put together winners. I mean, two things ultimately are at the core of recruiting. Winning and NFL draft pedigree. Well, Alabama had four players picked in the top 15 of the NFL draft last year. And then in the first two rounds, it had eight players. In the NFL draft the year before, there were three first-round picks. In 2018, there were another four first-round picks. So, I mean, it is actually a factory. Like, and they, there would be, if you did have the choice, it would be very difficult to not go to Alabama if your aspirations were to win national championships and play in the NFL. Because the percentages of that happening are both extremely high considering the pedigree of, of what's happened there. I think amazing that Alabama has endured this many iterations of coaching staff because you would think maybe somebody wanted to play for Sark or maybe some lineman liked Kyle Flood or maybe, nope, Psh, nothing, doesn't matter. There is one Alabama coach that matters. <laughs> That's it. That's that is point. it. In just the, the there, how many times have you seen a coordinator leave and the quarter? I had a two year relationship with him. I'm gonna explore my own. Nope, yeah, nothing. No. Just it's full steam ahead. The stormtroopers are headed to the football facility at Alabama where they will be spit out into winners on the field in the SEC and then draft picks on the other side. Think about recruiting too. And I mean, obviously, you, you take your chances, right? You get all these guys. And some of them aren't going to make it. Some are. That's fine. They have 27. They're not all going to be starters. But you take your shot. 
Uh, and people go, oh, this kid might be overrated or not. One thing I like to look for is in a state because it's hard to rank. How the hell do you know if this lineman in California is better than this lineman in Georgia, right? It's just, you never see them. But a lot of the way they, they scout recruiting is one guy's working a region. So if you're the number one player in your state, uh, and th- those guys that work, especially at rivals that are very regionalized, they're talking to high school coach. They know everything. They've seen these kids for four or five years in, in all different settings. Alabama. So when you got the number one player in a state, I always feel like that is undoubtedly this kid is a is a great player. They got the number one player in Florida. They got the number one player in Texas. They got the number one player in Alabama. They got the number one player in Mississippi. They got the number one player in Maryland. They got the number one player in Michigan. Like when they do veer out of their area, they just say, well, we'll go to Michigan because we're getting the number one guy. Yeah. Right. We don't go up there and get another guy. Well, maybe he'll fill out, you know, maybe. <laughs> no, we're getting an absolute stud. And so it's like, I mean, if you could just get the number one guy in Florida and Texas, you know, so they, they just, they just grabbing what they get. I don't think they got number one in Louisiana this year. Let's see what their highest rated Louisiana guy is. I think now, the best one in Louisiana was a safety who picked LSU, which yeah, was like yeah, a big win that. for them. Um, I think it was from Lafayette. It was a big win for LSU because they didn't have many on the field. Yeah. They didn't do great in Georgia, if you want. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, they just load up. And so, to me at this point, and it, it, this happens occasionally with programs, when Pete Carroll had it going at USC, it was like this. Like you have to start and say, okay, why won't I, why don't I want to go to Alabama? And so you might say, hey, I want to live near home, or my dad went to this school, or I like this academic program, or whatever it is. But you, that, they're at that point with these kids. Uh, they're just sitting there saying, well, which one? Which one? Oh, they also they have another Devonta Smith. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, the cornerback from Ohio from Ohio. So they. Gotta, I feel they, sorry for that Devonta Smith. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> he might be a great player, but he's not. Devonta Smith, who just absolutely tore apart college athletics. This is basically Alabama now. We're going to have to replace Devonta Smith, coach. Well, I got a plan for that. (laughs) (laughs) Meet Devonta Smith. Not, uh, he does not play wide receiver, but uh, yeah, a little pressure on him. So I don't know. It is, uh, it's an amazing, amazing run for them. The only program that potentially uh, ran with them, I mean, there's a lot of good recruiting class here, and we'll get to it, but I thought bodes well for the future of trying to get over that hump is Ohio State. Uh, Their recruiting under Ryan Day is maybe better than it was with Urban Meyer. It's, I mean, it's it's hard to say, And but uh, this is the number two class. They got three five stars. They work Texas very well. They get all over the country. You know, I'm looking at this class. Let's see, we got one, two, three, four. So they start early. They got five, six, six Ohio kids. That's all they're taking. Now, Jack uh, Sawyer is a huge star from or Pinkerington, Ohio. For the most part, they're national. Um, that's all they got. They get, they grab a bunch of kids early. Basically, you got to commit by summer if you're in a state of Ohio where they're moving on. And um, very impressive what Ohio State uh, has done. They should be pretty excited about this. Well, I, I think you, uh, you, you picked the right guy to start with, Dan. Uh, Jack Sawyer is the caliber of recruit that the Boshas were and that Chase Young is. Now, those are 
three of the best five defensive linemen in the NFL, right? And they all could end up being Hall of Famers. They certainly have Hall of Fame talent. So I'm not saying Jack Sawyer is that good, but I'm saying is Jack Sawyer is that caliber of a recruit where he was a five-star guy that everyone in the world wanted and sought after. So if there was one thing about Ohio State's defensive line this year, it was excellent, but it did not have that standout freak. And Jack Sawyer potentially projects as that type of productive standout freak. So he's the next piece of clay for Larry Johnson to mold. He's probably kind of the sexiest guy in this class. They really like Kyle McCord, the uh, the, the quarterback out of Philly. He was, a, you know, he's been committed there forever uh, since April of 19. And he was he was basically the guy Ryan Day handpicked. And uh, I think we trust Ryan Day on, uh, on quarterbacks at this point. Marvin Harrison Jr., which makes me feel old considering <laughs> I attended Syracuse with Marvin Harrison Sr., <laughs> Is uh, is a really talented guy who came along with uh, with McCord from uh, from Philly and just continues a ridiculous run of receiver talent that uh, that Ohio State's had. Now it's not quite the churn that Bama's had because that's probably been unprecedented, but they've really done well in the recruiting space in identifying receivers nationally and going and uh, getting them. And I think my last observation of this class is that they got two really high-end tailbacks and that that room had been a little bit in flux and it was the reason why they had to go get Trey Sermon that wasn't the strongest room at, at Ohio State in terms of depth that some guys transfer some different things happened so they really uh they, they really feel good about that duo of uh of of backs but you know when, when Ryan Day took over and we've talked about this on the pod some in the past like the the X's and O's stuff was going to be fine. It was like the leadership and in-program stuff and then recruiting. I mean, when Urban Meyer walked in your living room, he was Urban Meyer. He coached Tim Tebow. He'd won three national championships. There was an aura there. Now, Ryan Day does not have that aura, but not having that aura has not affected Ohio State's recruiting. They've done phenomenal work there. And the fact that Ryan Day has not not just kept it at Urban Meyer's level, but maybe even raised it is, is damn impressive. Uh, one thing I wanted to highlight there, and this is the kind of thing the Ohio States of the world can do, is a uh, kid from my backyard, basically, Zen Michalski, uh, uh, offensive lineman. He's from right across the river in southern Indiana, Floyd Central High School which was when I first started in this business covering high school sports. Floyd Central was one of the schools that I covered. And there was no, there were no college players in Southern Indiana at that point. None. So it's kind of wild to see this guy here. But point being, he was one of these revelations. Late comer, late bloomer, 6'6", 285, long arms, offensive lineman. Louisville gets him. And Louisville's like, oh, man, we have got a steal. But then everybody else starts figuring out, oh, wow, this kid's this kid's a late bloomer. And that's what Ohio State can do. And other schools can do is say, well, we're coming in now. And they come in and they get the kid. He decommits from Louisville uh, in September, early October. He's a Buckeye. And they can do that. They got a kid who was a, uh, a Clemson commit. He decommitted. Now, that's a little bit different. You're not that's not big school poaching smaller school. That's big school poaching big school. But. You know, they they can go get, like Alabama, what they want, when they want, from where they want. At the risk of talking too much about football, uh, which I get I get accused of on this podcast sometimes and not just like making jokes and talking about beer. There's an interesting Ohio. State. Why is everyone looking at me? Why is everyone looking at me? <laughs> I was going to make a joke about Floyd's knob. Indiana, because that's been entertaining me since I discovered the place. But 
Go ahead, Pete. Go ahead. If you must. We'll get back to your juvenile joke. (laughs) Yes, this is is like very inside football. So Ohio State had some success with defensive linemen going up against Clemson in recruiting, right? Because really, when you're recruiting at the level of Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, you're just recruiting against each other. That's pretty much where it is. Like Ohio State isn't really beating Michigan for kids. They're not even really in races with Michigan for kids. Defensive linemen since Clemson has shifted to more of a three-down front under Venables after basically that ridiculous line class left, that's really hurt Clemson in recruiting. And this is something that hurt Texas in recruiting when Todd Orlando was there because he was an odd front guy. Elite defensive line recruits want to play in a system that's going to look like a system in the NFL. They want to play in a four-down front. So this is a long, boring football way to say that Clemson's defensive line recruiting now, again, they got the two the two elite, elite kids last year. But the, the the perception of how they are playing has hurt them a bit on the recruiting trail, and it has helped Ohio State. And it that, that is something where Texas hasn't had any maulers up front on their defensive line. Name the last decent Texas defensive lineman. I mean, they haven't had anybody. Brian Arakpo, like yeah. 10 years, 12 years ago? Correct. That's something that hurt that program. So it's just like a little schematic nuance thing to, to watch, especially because the three, three, five is a little bit hot in vogue right now. Um, you know, Zach Arnett's the hot coordinator at Mississippi state. Tony white is brought it from the West coast to Syracuse. Like there, there will be more three, three, five. It's going to, it's, it, you can feel it coming in vogue, but it, it may not help you on signing day. Uh, well, you're absolutely right that they're just recruiting against each other. And it, the, the, um, the problem with this stuff is, and, and uh, we're, we're going to be partial to it here, but we, we've made this note before. When you rank, when you rank something, the, the implied mathematical difference, you talk, you talking, thinking football's boring. Wait till I bring up math. Is <laughs> There's an equal distance between one, two, two, three, three, four, right? There is not in this. No. Okay. It's like, there's, a top gap, and then by the time you get to like nine and ten, where like Michigan and Notre Dame are in, you're not close. Right. Like Alabama has an average star ranking of four point oh four, and Notre Dame's is three point four four. Notre Dame's tenth. Notre yeah. Dame's got a nice class, real nice class, but they got fourteen three stars. They got to hope some of those guys develop, and some of them do, but. It's just a to- the gap is enormous, and until Brian Kelly said this, until you are beating these schools for the player, we're going to beat them on the field. It's really hard. So Alabama and Ohio State and a couple others, like you said, Ohio State doesn't recruit against Michigan unless they're in the state of Michigan. It's not a fight. Right. Occasional no, Catholic school kid for Notre Dame. That's about it. They own everything else. Go ahead, Pat. And we saw it on the field so dramatically when Alabama played Notre Dame. Notre Dame has recruited very well. They've identified guys. They've developed guys. They have put them into a a niche system that works. But then you get up against Alabama, and it's like, oh, man, this is a guy who's a 12th grader against a 7th grader, you know, in terms of speed, athleticism, size, the whole thing. And, you know, that's, that's the problem. That's where college football is stuck right now. Nobody can close that gap on the top 
three, basically. And this signing day only reinforces that gap and, and, and potentially potentially widens it. When you when you look at Notre Dame last year, like Kyle Hamilton is Notre Dame's like five star standout, really good player. Like essentially Alabama has recruited a team of Kyle Hamiltons for like lack <laughs> yeah. of like a better way to put yeah. it. Like they you know. Right. Um there there were probably two players on Notre Dame's defense that would have played on Alabama's defense. And Alabama's defense wasn't even really that good this year. Like there are so many reasons if Alabama wasn't Alabama where you could be like, you know, maybe they maybe they slide off next year. The quarterback leaves. They they have very good receivers, but they lose some elite talent. They lose a, a really talented coordinator, like et cetera, et cetera. Right. But like just you can't doubt the machine at this point. Like yeah. it's uh, it's like betting against death and taxes. Well, yeah. if we literally said, well, hey, you guys watching the NFL draft this weekend, the uh, Carolina Panthers have 17 picks in the top three rounds. Like, okay, <laughs> like yeah. what? Totally yeah. nuts. Yes. Totally crazy. Uh, Can't have that. And we have none. Yeah, right. yeah. Good, <laughs> good luck. luck. So, yeah. all right. Oregon's doing a very good job out West. USC had a good recruiting class. So there is a little hope out West. Oregon finished third. Uh, the one I'm interested in talking about, Clemson, Georgia, LSU recruited well. No surprise. Texas A&M, which often, often recruits well, really like, they finished fourth. and. To me, it's this is the program I would buy stock in if you could buy stock in. And I'm not talking about GameStop. They got five four stars and two five stars to commit to Texas A&M since mid-December, basically since the end of the regular season. Jimbo Fisher's rolling right now. You know, they only lost one game. They won their bowl. I don't know if they're good enough to survive the SEC West. They got they have the 10,000-pound gorilla in their division in Alabama. How the heck do you beat these guys? But they're making a run in a way that I think Texas A&M fans always want them to make a run. This was certainly a really good recruiting class and a really strong finish uh, at the end for, for A&M. Yeah, hey, I'm impressed. And that's, you know, like it was coming. It was just a little bit slower on the delivery on the field, I think, than we thought. Um, you know, and it's so funny. I remember our podcast after they just got trucked by Alabama. We're like, ah, A&M still a paper tiger. They're way too far away. Well, it turns oh, we out fired Alabama was, we were trying to yeah, raise money yeah. for the buyout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Turns out Alabama was just that good. And Texas A&M was also quite good. They had a great season. I think they finished fourth in the polls. And now this is it. This is the next they have stacked recruiting classes. This is three or four in a row that are really, really highly rated. And you look at them for next year. Now, they've got to replace Kellen Mond. They've got to replace most of the offensive line. But every single skill position guy, every running back, every receiver, tight end who is really good are all back. And now you're going to add this next layer of, of talent there. If they got a quarterback in the system, they're going to be right there challenging Alabama. And they're probably going to be one of the top five programs uh, in the next couple of years. Lesser known fact is that Texas A&M actually had the best defense in the SEC last year. And they're going to return, I believe, nine of 11 starters uh, from that defense. And they've recruited consistently well. So I really feel like this is going to be a, a, a pivotal year for A&M because I don't think Mike Elko, the, the talented defensive coordinator, is there for a, at, past this season. Like, I feel like he will be the bell of the ball in the coordinator market last year. He turned down Temple two years ago. He's had chances to go to the NFL. You know, 
he's stayed loyal to his two million dollar a year job. So I say that with like, like lightly. But, you know, he's kind of he's kind of hung around there and waited for a good job. And there will be good jobs this year because we've already we've already cast it at Yahoo. We don't like to make bold declarations at Yahoo, but we've already we've already declared it's going to be the, the, the biggest coaching turnover year in the history of college football. So we've already we've already decided that was going to happen. Now, some of that is actually tempered a little bit because Auburn ended up opening and a couple of these jobs ended up opening that maybe were like a tech too, obviously, that were maybe there. But I, I think in terms of volume, we're going to have a massive volume year in the in coaching carousel next year, and I think Elko is going to be ahead of the train on that. So I really feel like this is going to be an interesting year because AM is obviously going to be breaking in a new quarterback and going to have to rely on that defense some, which should, which should highlight it. But, I mean, Jimbo Fisher, if you really looked at it heading into last season, he was not discernibly ahead of Tom Herman. Like, now, he had gotten there one year after. Herman got there in 17. He got there in 18. But you couldn't declare from a mountaintop in August that AM had, like, completely outpaced Texas. They'd done some nice things. They'd won some games. They, their things were set up. It was set up for Mon this year. They, they developed. But, like, they were, they were in the same zip code. Obviously, Texas had some bad moments on the field. Herman got run. And that's just going to give Jimbo Fisher he, – he's going to – he, there's some credibility established within the state right now, and people are going to be feeling out Sarkeesian. So he's got a he's really got a chance right now to to bring some distance between A and M and Texas. Well, this, this class did it. I wrote a story last year uh, on draft after the draft. Thirteen percent of all the players drafted played at Texas high school football. In twenty six percent of the first two rounds, seventeen of the first sixty four selections. That is unbelievable. In, in, incredible. And like that's a third more than California, which has a quarter more people. So yeah. and, and of those 17, none of them went to Texas or Texas A&M. Yeah, that's they had, a they, shocker. They yep. had nobody and uh, they had 11 of the top 40. None of them. I mean, you know, not all of that was Chimbo or Herman. They were getting there. I mean, th- those weren't their seniors, but the level of like just rating of top talent, not just by Alabama and Ohio State, but clearly like. TCU and and things like that are doing a better job finding finding people. I think I mean it was uh you know it was an incredible number of of schools. So you know that was that just seemed impossible, and obviously that is changing. The players are there. Texas A and M has always been one of these mystery programs. They just could never get out of their own way. Maybe they do. Jimbo Fisher has won a national title, and if everyone's pulling in the same, you know, this isn't. I thought they would do. I thought Johnny Manziel would spur the revolution. It didn't happen. But this isn't built on one player. This is a really, really strong recruiting class. Uh, you know, as for our firings, uh, I do think we were down on Jimbo, who finished fourth in signing day. We were definitely down on Orgeron, who finished fifth. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where we sat on Kirby Smart, but he finished sixth. We weren't uh, trying Clay to fire Helton. Kirby. We could, we could we, make fun of his in-game management, but we weren't ready to fire him. I don't think we yeah. fired him. We definitely fired Clay Helton. They finished eighth. Oh, oh we, yeah. fired we fired Clay, Clay Helton like 10 times. We fired him yeah. three times a year for the last three years. Harbaugh, <laughs> yes. we tried to fire every week, and they finished <laughs> yeah. ninth. Yeah. So clearly, our what we say, the recruits of America listen to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maybe they just like Clay Helton's asbestos pants, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. I also want to talk about Harbaugh. Michigan, you're always going to have good recruiting classes. Some of the stuff is institutional. It's why there's high expectations. If you've been to any of these top 10 schools, it's when you go to walk around USC and go, and I don't think I'm real interested in this place. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, like, I don't. The sunshine, the, oh, it's, the it's impossible the to go to those plays. Like that's why I just still don't understand why UCLA is not great in football. I don't know. I don't you. go walk around that campus and say, ah, I don't want to be here. Uh, I don't know how you don't want to go there. Yeah. Um, I so, spent a day with uh, Josh Rosen when he was uh, used to those quarterbacks going into his sophomore year. It was a it was a very fun assignment. But I'm <laughs> um, sitting in his uh, he had like a class on like social media. So like I went I went and just kind of sat in the back of his class and I'm like, so I went to Syracuse, which is a fine education. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But it's just like this yeah. like winter misery like snow banks like literally the snow banks would be taller than you and you were just like running around like a mouse looking for cheese half the time and i'm like sitting there and it's just like just like the campus is beautiful the people are beautiful like it, it, it was yeah. just like i was just like i did everything wrong like i I, yeah. I sat there in the in the back of the class and i was just like man did i make a lot of mistakes why was i not told about this place yes. Wait, it, like this was possible <laughs> <laughs> is there a greater UCLA class, though, than social media? Yeah, like this, I <laughs> it seems like the kids would be teaching the professor. Yeah, I, I forget the actual name of it, but they were essentially studying social media. And it was like perfect because Josh Rosen was a, kind of a disaster on social media. And yeah, he was remember the hot tub and everything. Yeah. A beautiful disaster. I, I don't think that was uh, a bad disaster. Yeah. And the, the, the moment from that story, that I forget, is I went to his like apartment and he was like playing darts and he just looks back at me. He's like. Is this like the frattiest apartment you've ever seen? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somehow UCLA finished 31st. We're not sure if they're going to take the kids from All American, Darnell and Spencer. <laughs> Got to sign Spencer James, man. Don't fall for that hurt hand, Coach Kelly. Chip was a little wooden in his uh, in his cameo in the All American. Yeah, so, he's terrible. Um, he's terrible. You, 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 Got alive, got to liven it up a little bit. Worst acting I've ever seen, especially when you're playing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> All American is the CW drama of the times, and it is phenomenal. But Chip Kelly's before we mentioned this before. Chip Kelly's performance, his whole thing was all he had to do was act excited to meet the recruits. <laughs> I couldn't do that. And introduce us. I'm Coach Kelly. You know what do you think of UCLA? Like. They were putting him on his whole. That was his only. That was his bit, and he couldn't do it. Couldn't pull it off. No wonder the recruiting's not good enough. And it was in UCLA's weight room, which is tremendous. in their weight like, room. UCLA's really? new facilities are awesome. Like and every like a single dropped on that campus. Every teenager in America, including all the football players, especially all the football players, are watching this. Like yeah. that cameo on All American is worth like forty visits by College Game Day. <laughs> Like old sports writers, oh, college game day's here. All the recruits are going to come now. No, get on All-American. <laughs> like Bruce Pearl slipped his way on The Bachelor a couple of seasons oh, ago, right. right? Yep. You know, like that's, now that's <laughs> recruiting. You want to, <laughs> Chip Kelly, like, well, I was like, I was so excited. I'm like, oh man, Chip Kelly. Oh, oh. <laughs> Hello, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our campus. All right, Michigan, Harbaugh shook up his staff. Part of the deal in getting to stay, now we've seen this does not work in the past with coaches who get the reprieve, shake up your staff. But he has gone straight youth and a lot of diversity. A lot of young African-American coaches. Probably most famous to hear is Mike Hart, who was a great running back there, who once had a feud with Jim Harbaugh over, yes. 
over uh, academic standards at Michigan when Harbaugh was at Stanford and didn't mind mouthing. It's the beauty of Harbaugh. He fights with everyone, including his own alma mater and now his assistant coach. But whatever, their average staff is now 36 years old. They got all these guys. I know a lot of high school coaches in Metro Detroit. The, the, the Michigan staff is on fire. They're running around all excited because they're they're all at Michigan. And they closed well. They flipped a, a very good player in the state for Michigan State. I'm not saying Michigan is going to beat Ohio State next year. I'm not saying that uh, the Wolf flipped the switch and the Wolverines are back. They've, they, they never were. I'm not sure there's anywhere to get back to. But is there a sign here that, hey, maybe Harbaugh modernized the program or something like that? I don't, I don't know. It seemed interesting to me that they did really well, considering everyone thinks he's fired in a year. I, I think if you're Ward Manuel, this is a smart plan because Mike Hart, Mo Linguist, Ron Bellamy are all guys who could be on the staff in the future. And at the very least, they are going to stock your program with players who you're going to need if you do move on from Jim Harbaugh. So I agree there's some energy. I agree there's some life. They moved uh, Sharon Moore over to offensive line coach. They got younger and they got more energy, and in theory, they're going to bring better players into the program. Did those staff changes get them closer to beating Ohio State? Probably not, quite frankly. I really just think that there are still fundamental issues in the Michigan program that are going to keep them stuck in the mud, but at the very least, they you know they flipped a guy from Colorado. Like There's some energy and some buzz at a place that's pretty much been buzzless and energyless for the last two years. There was so much energy around Harbaugh when he got there and for the first couple of years, two, three years. Remember, I mean, first of all, just the general excitement of him being there. Secondly, his resume was still very fresh. And third, he was out there. He was saying stuff. He was making things happen. He's spending the night with a kicker. He's just he's doing stuff. And in the last couple of years, he just seems to have kind of withdrawn and become just another coach. And his team plays like just another team. And he's getting older and he looks older and his offense looks old. Everything has looked, you know, like it's gotten stale at Michigan. And so, yeah, bring in new staff, young staff, and maybe there's a little bit more juice, a little more energy, a little more liveliness, and a little more ability to relate to the recruits that Jim Harbaugh once was getting all the credit for being coming up with all these ingenious, crazy ways to re relate to. Maybe if you can't do it and you better hire some people who can now. And so, you know, we'll see how this pans out, but I think it was needed steps and potentially productive steps. I, I totally agree with Pete that there's no sign that, that they are catching Ohio state and this class, it, it's a good class. It's, it's not as good as Ohio state's on paper. You know, we'll see what happens when they actually get on the field. But still, this is something I think they they needed, obviously, a course change of some kind. And the staff uh, gives them that, at least. This class is a lot better than everybody else in, yeah. in the Big Ten. So you, you have that. couple things. One, yeah, he did everything and then he backed off it all. He has no patience to his plan. You can't hold one recruiting camp in Prattville, Alabama and think, oh, I'm making, I'm going to sign these kids from Alabama. Like, you have to go back year after year after year and build relationships with people. And it, it's sort of like he's done flavor of the month. We're going to do signing of the stars, then we get rid of from that. Like, you have to purposely go back in. And, and that's one of the things, um, you know, various stories. Like, even in Cleveland and Youngstown, they haven't seen him in a couple of years. You can't just show up when they when you want a player 
you have to show up all the time. And for whatever reason, they weren't doing that. Uh, and that included in the state. Uh, you know, Penn State signed three four-star kids from Detroit. Like You cannot let Penn State, literally your backyard, you know, the kids from Belleville, which is like 15 miles from campus, are all leaving. You got you, you can't let Kentucky beat you repeatedly. Like some of these things. And so I, they got better in Wasn't state. Wasn't there that Detroit Free Press story? Yeah, there was a great Rainer Saban story about about all of this in the Detroit Free Press. It does a great job of of covering college football in the state of Michigan. I really like He's not a beat writer, per se. He just sort of does the issues. And Rainer was in Alabama, covered the Cowboys. He went to Arkansas. He knows the sport really well. And he had a lot of really good points on that where uh, Ted Gidd Sr. was like, where, where's Harbaugh, you know, over in Cleveland? Like, you got to be there nonstop. And that includes, in, I think next year, Michigan will sign the top five players in the state of Michigan. We'll all go to Michigan, which is no offense to Michigan State. If you get, if you get, if Mel Tucker gets a role in the, but that's how it should be in, in a state. You can't just walk into Detroit and beat Michigan that easily. The, the part of the, that Rainer Saban story that I remember the best was that it, it was, is it Payne, the really good defensive tackle recruit who went yeah, to Alabama? Basically Michigan, like, like Harbaugh was absent from that recruitment. Now, was there a, beef, there a beef with high school? There was all these theories as to why, but like the point was like, you have a program changing, you know, all best in state at a, a position that's really difficult. There aren't a lot of defensive tackle recruits growing on trees, right? Like you have a rare bird in your backyard and there was not an enthusiasm known to mankind recruitment of him to Michigan. And the, if you were going to lose that guy to Alabama, you lose like sitting in the office. You make Saban come in and literally rip the kid out of your hands. And I do agree that Harbaugh has not had the pedal to the metal. I mean, he's abandoned Ohio, which which is a really good point that's been made in the in the media there earlier. Some of Michigan's best players in history have been from Ohio, and they have essentially vacated it. And Harbaugh has been pretty pissy when he's been asked about it, which means it's 100% true. He knows it's true, and nobody reverts to, like, junior high immaturity more than Jim Harbaugh when, when he gets asked a hard question. And quite frankly, he doesn't get asked a lot of hard questions in the state of Michigan. And so, I mean, he's gotten a pass for— Honestly, getting lazy on the recruiting trail. I really think that's what it boils down to. Now, this staff will give them some energy and they'll have some buzz, but Jim Harbaugh is not the hardest working guy in recruiting. And that has come to roost with the roster we've seen. And the issue at Michigan is talent. Like, they did not have talent on defense. They had a defense predicated on press corner coverage and their corners were dead average. He does get a lot of heat in Michigan. Does he? Well, I don't know. At least talk radio and stuff like that. It's a pro town, so there's not a lot, but he's still there. All right, other other notables. We'll just get done with this. Um, Ole Miss, the Lane Train, coming in at 18. They signed a ton of kids late. That says uh, says a lot. Um, Lane's a last call kind of recruit. <laughs> says something. Florida came in 11th, but this doesn't count my guy, Eric Family Dollar Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to start calling him Eric Wetzel. Eric Wetzel. <laughs> Oklahoma, 13th. Not good enough for the Sooners. They... We're on the precipice of something big. They, they whiffed on a bunch of guys. They also have 14 Tennessee. Like They stole every single good player off the Tennessee roster, so you, you can count them, too. That's the yeah. same thing, Eric Gilbert stuff. What, what good does that do, Sully, stealing <laughs> Tennessee's players? 
So uh, any so optimism from signing day for you as a Vol fan? Tennessee any was 3-7. and seven. Who wants their players? Thank God for early <laughs> signing day. My goodness. Yeah, don't let them out of those letters, by golly. No, they, they all deserve to be let out of their letters. But ten, you can knock Tennessee all you want, but the recruiting has not been the issue. Just ask Fulmer in the press conference <laughs> yeah. where he's firing the coach for recruiting <laughs> violations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great recruiting. Um, no, my point, though, with, with Oklahoma and with Florida is like – I. It, it, I think this signing day is going to change dramatically as this continues with what's name, image, likeness. Like what? This is going to be so wild. We'll look back on this. Like the era is changing potentially with this class, with all the laws. But part of it is like, as this is interesting. But if you don't include the transfers, how do you really know? Like I, you know, I mean, I joke about Eric Gilbert because I love him as a player, and and he committed to Florida while at Family Dollar when he should have gone to the Mercedes dealer so be it also you know there's just something great about something so high school about like stealing the wi-fi from family dollar right <laughs> you got wi-fi deciding oh, dude we're a dollar store i'm ready i'm gonna i'm gonna announce my transfer <laughs> we, right now gotta, in aisle three dollar store you have dial up like we can't afford free wi-fi <laughs> for the customers what do you think the margins in on this crap is <laughs> you want wi-fi it's a dollar too that's what family dollars should do. Charge for the Wi-Fi. Anyway, but that's a five-star recruit by any any measure of the of the deal. So it's like, well, he's he's joining the team. So I don't know if this stuff will hold up historically on how we look at it. I, what can you imagine next year's signing day? Obviously, the December one's bigger. Will be like if if name, image, and likeness is a thing. Theoretically. Name, image, and likeness could be that game changer by this time next year. But that's always that's been such a moving target of when this stuff is going to happen, be implemented, be approved, and then how it's going to work. That I kind of almost feel like we've we've got to actually see it, touch it, get our hands around it before we know what the impact's going to be. Now, yes, in on, in theory, hey, I mean. Guys that are out there that are five-star recruits should be getting very interesting-looking potential promotional packages, if you will, put before them in addition to a letter of intent. You know, if you go to Alabama, here are some of your endorsement opportunities. Or here, if, if you go to Oklahoma, it's here. If you go to Michigan, the Notre Dame, what, whatever. But I just don't know whether anybody has an idea, you know, what – because the, the the great thing about the NCAA, of course, is they they charged into this last April and said we will have name, image, and likeness. And you ask them questions. I was on that teleconference and like, uh, what about the details? We don't know. What about this? What about that? We don't know. We're working on it. And then they've been working on it, and they've been working on it so slowly and ineffectively that Congress has stepped in, and so now you have this congressional rush, and then the NCAA basically finally said, Congress, can you just do this for us so that the state legislatures don't take over? I don't know what the hell it's going to look like. I'm not sure anybody does. And, you know, maybe by a year from now, we'll have some idea. But right now, it is a, it's a free-for-all that nobody has managed very well. Yeah, that's a it's a, it's a really good way to put it. One of, one of the things Pat touched on that I really look forward to in uh, in all this is like, so every football office is now just like they have a graphics guy and a recruiting guy. Like they're going to have basically director of getting endorsements to players, but they won't be able to call it that because it's college athletics and they have to get it on their own. So I look forward to the creativity of that 
growing out amid these, and, and it's going to grow out, and that that is going to be an important and valuable position. It's going to probably start in recruiting departments and move, but the sort of kabuki dance of like how to frame it as something completely different when it's literally going to be a guy handing you a menu saying like, you can go get paid here, you can get paid here, you can get paid here, you know, name image like this, this and that, that kind of thing. So I really, uh, I really think it's interesting that how that's going to play out. I heard something this week in the Super Bowl this week, there, there's an app called I Got It, something, I believe it's I Got It app. And you can watch the Super Bowl and then like bid on Tyreek Hill's gloves or you can bid on Devin White's jersey and like actively do it throughout the game. So like to me, that was like I heard about it. I was like, oh, that's a pretty cool idea. You know, if you're a big fan of the Chiefs, you may want some piece of the game and you can bid on it in real time. If the guy's MVP, you might bid more or whatever. But like I saw that as something that could really transfer over to college. So can you imagine the big Alabama LSU game like next year? You can you can bid on, you know, f- fill in the blank favorite players this and that and that like that can actually be like going on during the game. Like to me, that was like a small window of like, wow, that's a really cool idea, and that is going to happen in college. Now again, like, do they own the jersey? Like you know, Ohio State Iowa basketball games tonight. Can you bid on? Does 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 Luke Garza have the rights to his jersey to sell after? I don't know. I don't know yeah. the answer. Can he sell his sneakers? Like, I'm sure he can. He probably has lots of pairs. But, like, you know, could could one of these one-and-done guys, like, sell autographed sneakers from their game? Like, Cade Cunningham. Uh, we all watched him last night play against TCU poorly, I may add. Like, if Cade Cunningham's in— Oh, uh, watched him blow yes, the game. Yeah, he was yeah, terrible. Yeah. Um, but if he's going to be the number one pick in the draft, can he sell his Nikes signed and make 1500 bucks off of them on an internet auction at, off of every game? Like, I just think that's— that's where we're going, and nobody has it. Like all these bus- literally businesses have been built around rules that haven't been established. It, it's fascinating. It's total college sports, and we've gone into this in a pod, but it's an abomination that Emirate has let it get this far. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And uh, but I will say this, and this is why everyone says the rich will get richer, the rich are getting richer. It will even out. Do you want to be the seventeenth player in the top hundred going to Alabama, or do you want to go to Penn State? and be the only top 100 player. Like, the idea that, like, Penn State doesn't have any fans or any money, mid-state fracking will sponsor you. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody in the state of Pennsylvania will make it worth your while to be the star there. And if you could even this out, I think it'll change, and I think the sport will be better. But, yes, this is going to be crazy. I do think, like, media guides will show, hey, we had the highest uh, bid on on a jersey, uh, in SEC history, and you know that'll be the stuff they're trying to sell to kids. Our fans are wilder than these. That's true, but all the fans are wild, and so there will be opportunity to all these schools that will that will supersede it. But we'll, we got plenty of time to talk talk the future of uh, of recruiting uh, with all of that. But uh, anyway, that puts a wrap on this year's signing day, which I always love. Good recruiting, good recruiting talk, good recruiting talk. All right, people's court time. <laughs> Oh, beautiful court. We had a situation this week out at uh, Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles in California. (laughs) I've been there. Tremendous place. Oh, so good. First off, you really can't go wrong with chicken and waffles anywhere. But Roscoe's, uh, if they didn't invent it, they have uh, they have perfected it. Uh, So the Roscoe's, though, uh, in Pasadena, 
They were, they got a few around the area, obviously. Uh, unfortunate situation. A a guy came to get his his dinner. He wanted his chicken and waffles, and uh, but he did not have a mask, so he was denied entry to get his order. He went to his car. Apparently, came back with a gun. Came back with a gun and held up the Roscoe's <laughs> house of chicken and waffles in Pasadena. The issue, though. He, he pulled up his shirt. This is according to the man. He said, sir, you're showing me a gun over your mask. You need a mask. You have to walk out. The guy said, no. He walked around to the back, set his phone down on the refrigerator, cocked his gun and told the cook, put all the chicken in the bag. <laughs> all the chicken. He did not want money from the register. <laughs> he just wanted chicken. So the guy put the money in a bag, put the chicken. He put the chicken in a bag, and then the guy stopped to get syrup. <laughs> you have your condiments. Quote, unquote, he didn't touch the money. Uh, we have a local news report. Needless to say, this is big news in L.A. Oh, yeah. Roll it, Sully, because we're going to get all the evidence to our justices here. That's when employees say the trouble began. Here he is in a dark blue shirt as the cashier asked him to put on a mask. Instead, why do you come over here and tell me in my face? And he told him again, I just put a mask on. And then that's when he got mad and then pulled out a gun, I guess. Employees say he was so upset that the man pulled out a gun and pointed it at them. It was all caught on the restaurant's security cameras. And then he came back towards the kitchen and said, pointing the gun at me, pretty much said, put all the chicken in the bag. The chicken and not the money? They ain't got no money in the kitchen. There was plenty of chicken in the kitchen, but no bag. So the man grabbed a couple of to-go orders while the employees ran out of the back door. Everyone is okay, but admittedly a little confused. I understand our chicken is good, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 that's some expensive chicken these guys got there. So it was just pretty stupid and crazy at the same time. Well, the good news here is that none of the employees were hurt. Everyone was okay. They did reiterate that this person just took off with food. They didn't actually take any money from the restaurant. Pasadena police and the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department are looking for this person. The employees say that he took off with a passenger in a light-colored sedan. In Pasadena, right. Sarah Donchi, KCAL 9 News. There you go. If you have any uh, issues. Greater Los Angeles light-colored sedan. <laughs> 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 Could you be more specific? Yeah. I mean, come on. Give us something. <laughs> light-colored sedan. Uh, call uh, the Pasadena police. stabbed on chin. <laughs> <laughs> Pat and I once rode in the in a in a um in a prisoner transport of the Pasadena police. We have to yes, tell that story did. a different time. We've spent more time oh, yeah. in custody with the Pasadena police than the than the <laughs> yeah. waffle and chicken waffle guy. thief. Uh we were not arrested. There was no legal charges. They were just giving us a ride in an unfortunate vehicle. Anyway, should this guy I mean the armed part's what's gonna get him in trouble. I gotta yeah, figure that gun kind of it's not gonna go over well with the should our uh, our chicken bandit, uh, should he have to serve time or can we let him off uh, easy considering he just coined the great, flay, great phrase, put all the chicken in the bag? <laughs> Justice he's 40. Going, he's going to jail and here's why. This is where we've gotten in 2020, 2021 with the pandemic. Someone is bold enough, unmasked, 
at a time when being masked is completely accepted. Someone goes and robs a place unmasked, and that's the reason they're doing it. Because they want to cover the, like the employee wants them to cover their face. And they refused to cover their face. They said, no, you are going to see my face. All the security cameras, all the kitchen help, everyone. They said, no, who is that unmasked idiot? <laughs> like just the sheer stupidity of it. It really is a bad, yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. <laughs> Literally in the history, That's... it's like, oh, why is that guy wearing a mask? He's going to rob me. Yes. <laughs> now you're allowed right. to wear a mask. Yes, you have your cover and you don't do it, which is, hey, that's why the, everybody at the U.S. Capitol, how they were able to identify most of them because they were too dumb to have their Wear your mask. On. You're allowed. Yeah. And yeah. in California, it's probably more people outraged that he wasn't wearing a mask. Yes. And so, oh. I'm not outraged. Guarantee I respect it. the chicken Hardcore. hustle. Look, everybody likes good, good fried chicken. But just like put on a mask, <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> I have a theory. I have a theory here. I think this guy is the great... Uh, Texas beer bandit. Remember oh, the guy yeah. that had the five cases of beer? Didn't stop at four. Yeah. Got the fifth. This is a person. He's not, he's not out for the money. He is out for the, uh, the ingestion, right? The, give me the beer, give me the chicken and I'm happy. So he's migrated. He had to run away from the law in Texas. He ends up in California. He holds up the chicken joint for the chicken. Uh, next stop. I don't know. I mean, there's no telling where he could show up next, but I, that's my theory on him. And now that we know he's in a light-colored sedan, yeah. it'll be, you know, he's really up against it. I think the Guntown kangaroo was actually the passenger. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. All I know is if you see a light-colored light <laughs> sedan in your neighborhood, wherever you listen to this, just shoot the guy. <laughs> because that's he right. might steal your chip. That's right. <laughs> or ask him for syrup. Because he did stop for the syrup. That's true. I love the stop for the syrup. Yeah. All right. People's Court, we have more food news. One oh, more ruling okay. here. Uh, as you guys, you know, I'm a big fan of Subway, the Subway sandwich shop. Oh, yeah. Yep. Once went, uh, tried to learn. My my goal at the Rio Olympics was to learn how to order Subway. <laughs> I remember. In Portuguese. <laughs> I was, I, I tried. I, I almost made it. Mm. The help of my, uh, my sandwich uh, artist. Down at the, uh, the the subway near my hotel. I ate there with you uh, one the time, and, and we walk in, and they're like, oh, yeah, they were, you, you were pals with them. They knew you immediately on site. I tip them. Yeah. I always tip my subway. The subway worker has it the hardest. Yeah. They have to take the order and cook. <laughs> they have to assemble, and then you have to, everyone's barking at them. Like, nah, uh, no, not that many onions. Just a couple. Just a little dash. Poor person. So yeah, I they 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 put up with my English, my bad Portuguese, very chicky. But I almost made it. Um, but you saw me try, right? Oh, yeah, I tried yeah, in Portuguese, yeah, and yeah, yeah, but no, you walked in. You True were like story. Norman Cheers. You were the regular. Ah, oh, Dan's here again. Yep. Is that is that is that white dude? Yeah. <laughs> white guy from try America. To talk bad Portuguese. Bad Portuguese. He wants his. <laughs> but chicken. he gives us five yeah. bucks at the end. Yeah, pretty much it. Anyway, uh, tough week. It's been a tough run for Subway legally. Uh, not sure if you saw this last week, there was a lawsuit which Subway uh, vehemently denies that their iconic tuna sandwich actually contains no tuna. Uh, and the lawsuit says that they they had an independent lab test multiple samples of the tuna and it is made from, quote, anything but tuna. <laughs> it's a really 
Really sobering <laughs> like quote. What else? Yeah, I mean, like they yeah. have blended together by defendants to imitate the appearance of tuna. Uh, it seems like more work than just using tuna. <laughs> yeah, tuna's not but, expensive. Oh, tuna is expensive, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I'm thinking so, of like Subway grade no. tuna is expensive. So. Yeah, at a steakhouse, yeah. it's yeah. Like <laughs> if you want to, tuna caught fresh from the Pacific shore, but like the tuna Dan sandwich artist is making for him ain't that much money. That's that's I wouldn't think from so. the can. Yeah, Starkist well, co- isn't killing it. This comes on the heels of a court in Ireland that ruled that Subway bread is not bread. <laughs> 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 There's nothing sacred I mean, anymore. What, wow, I, what I'm not even Subway done with the list. What it says, what they say it is. Subway bread <laughs> apparently has too much sugar uh, in the dough. It exceeds a two percent ratio. I looked up the case. This is how. <laughs> there was previously the company settled a lawsuit that the foot long sub wasn't actually twelve inches. <laughs> 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 Subway yeah. just completely so under siege. If you went and got a foot-long tuna on wheat, no, strike three. You didn't get any of that. <sighs> oh for three. Um, <laughs> That's actually my go-to order. So I've been I've been gypped for years. You, you've been lied to, Sully. You've been lied to. So it's like a bad country music song. Your 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 team stinks. Your coach got fired, and your foot-long tuna on wheat really just doesn't exist. <laughs> Apparently, the foot-long dough. Often comes in a quarter inch shorter. I felt this lawsuit was rather nitpicky. <laughs> Subway defended itself by saying you can't guarantee the way the bread will bake, what direction. I thought that's a reasonable. All right. So my ruling for you guys is I think I'm alleging that Subway is just a victim of fast food bullying. <laughs> I think these are deceitful tactics, lawsuits, frivolous lawsuits from like McDonald's or Burger King or somebody that are trying to bully Subway because it's not fair to to point out they don't have tuna, they don't have bread, and it ain't even, whatever it is, it ain't even a foot long. Do <laughs> you think it's like a rival crime family, basically? <laughs> trying to bad publicity. That's, I have two theories here, two theories. One is that you might actually be making this up because you got compliments from one of our uh, listeners on on Twitter, Molly DFW or Molly Tex, uh, saying that you are hilarious. So I think you're making this up to try to curry favor with the one Very person out woman. there who thinks you're funny. Uh, <laughs> Very smart woman. But secondly, now if, and my other conspiracy theory, do you remember when there big bumblebee tuna controversy that we covered? Oh, yeah. 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 Price fixing. So, Price fixing. Yeah. Well, I think this is tied in. I think this is absolutely tied in <laughs> that this is Bumblebee now getting back and saying, you, you're going after us for tuna. We're going after everybody else for tuna. So I think this is a Bumblebee plot to try to bring everybody down to their level. Uh, Pete, do you ever eat at I, Subway? I just think Subway has to be better. You know what I mean? Be better, Subway. Like, like, like you can't end up in the crosshairs of three losses. Like once, okay, twice might be a coincidence. Three, three things. I mean, if Sully's very order essentially doesn't exist, it's more of like an existential question than corporate failings. So I really think there should be some hard conversations in Subway headquarters this morning. You have to be better. Sully orders the footlong tuna on wheat and just gets a little pile of uh, lettuce and like a couple tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not sure that tomatoes are real either. They need a little DNA mm. testing. They're frozen. Yeah. They're definitely frozen. Well, you can sure. see. Yeah. That's all right. I will continue to love you, Subway. All right. That does it for this week. We'll be back next. 
uh, keep subscribing, listening, reaching out to us, sending us dumb fast food stories. Uh, we're always there for you. And uh, we will talk to you next week.